Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So uh, I know that you know this because we are four weeks in, uh, but we're walking through the book of Genesis uh, right now, all 50 chapters, and we've been taking really pretty big chunks at a time because it's hard to walk through 50 chapters. And so, so far, uh, we've covered the creation narratives. Uh, we covered uh, the fall of humankind. Uh, we covered the subsequent unraveling of the world after the fall, after Adam and Eve leave uh, the garden. And then last week, we talked about God's promise to bless everyone through this one family, through the family of Abram. And we talked that this cycle is really um, order, disorder, and reorder, or creation, destruction, and recreation. That's just what's happening over and over again in these stories, in the entire Bible, and really in everything. The story is order, disorder, reorder, just over and over again. And in Genesis 12, we get that God is trying to reorder or kind of recreate his world through this one man and this one man's family, through Abram. And God promises that through this one man will come a family, and that family will turn into a nation. And from this nation, all people will be blessed. It's a, it's a reordering and a recreation of everything through one man and one family. It's a really big promise. It's a really big promise. And it sounds, um, it sounds really nice. It sounded, I, I love reading that promise that God makes to Abram, that his family will be a blessing to all the people of the earth. That's what it says. Oh, it sounds so good. But the problem is that uh, Abram didn't have any kids. He didn't have a family that would turn into a nation, that would turn into a blessing for everyone. And it takes a long time in the story for any of that to happen. And so we get this big section in the book of Genesis. It's really the rest of Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis 17, where God has promised this big thing. Like, I'm going to make you, Abram, into a family that becomes a nation, that becomes a blessing. God's made this huge promise, but none of it has happened yet. And so we get this big section where really Abram and the people around him are just waiting. They're just waiting for God's promise to actually happen. They've heard the promise, but none of it has happened. So they're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And so today I want to have a conversation about waiting. Uh, Because most of us, now I think there's probably some of you and some folks in our community who are just incredibly patient people, uh, just, just really good people. But most of us are not, <laughs> most of us are not good at waiting. Uh, we are not patient. It's really hard to wait. And so I, I want to just I want to do something a little different. We don't do this a lot during my teaching, but I want to just take a second, wherever you are today, just kind of take a moment. And try to call to mind, try to, try to think for a moment about what you are really waiting for. Like really waiting for. Like not a different car, not a, uh, you know, a slightly bigger number in your bank account. Like what are you really waiting for? Relationally, spiritually, what are you longing for in your life? 
maybe just take just a second and try to call that to mind. What are you really waiting for? Just hold that with you today as we continue on. So these stories of waiting, this time in Genesis between God making the promise and God fulfilling the promise, they're they're great examples of how we should wait, of what to do while we're waiting. And they are also (laughs) examples of what not to do while we're waiting is a reminder the Bible is a human story filled with humans. (laughs) And the stories, especially in this little section of Genesis, they are brutally honest because they're human. So we're going to talk through them just as honestly as we can. And we're going to start with the bad stories first to try to get them out of the way. So this this is like how not to wait, what not to do while you're waiting. Because Abram does The main character here really does some terrible things in this section of Genesis. You just really can't get around it. Some of us know some of these stories, and we'll kind of gloss over them because we've heard it so many times. Uh, But they're they're just uh, kind of they're just bad. He just does bad things. And uh, if you're attempting to read the Bible, and I think you should, uh, it's important to remember that the Bible isn't entirely prescriptive. It's not it's not instruction. In fact, most of the Bible isn't prescriptive. It's history and it's critique. And like any history of any people, you should read it and be able to identify the parts that aren't so good and to say, oh, wow, that's something I don't want to do. Or wow, what a a thing that humans just do over and over again. What an interesting pattern that happens through humanity. And so these stories, they're honest on purpose so that we can read them and see the true humanity in them, not as prescriptive to our behavior, but as an honest historical account of what it looks like to be human. So these characters aren't our example. They're not necessarily prototypical. They do bad things. But just like always around here, what we talk about a lot is that we're going to withhold judgment of these characters. And we're going to try to just practice some curiosity. So let's pull at the thread a little bit. So let's, let's talk about um, some of these ways that Abram shows us how not to wait, what these stories look like. So God makes this huge promise in Genesis uh, chapter 12 to Abram. I'm going to bless you and turn you into a family, your family into a nation, and the nation will bless all peoples of the earth. So God makes this big promise, and then right afterwards, there's a famine. And so Abram uh, has to take his family to Egypt to be able to survive the famine. And while he's on his way to Egypt, he says this to his wife. Verse 12, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. So just right off the bat, it's like, uh, okay, interesting choice, uh, interesting things to say to your wife. And then verse 14 of Genesis chapter 12, when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai, Abram's wife, was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He, he treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Okay, so you could just gloss over this quickly. If you're just reading the whole thing, you may, 
you may not catch all of it, but, but let's look at this. So um, Abram lies and says, this is my sister. And then Pharaoh decides that she's beautiful and takes her, presumably as his wife. So you can just, you just feel this out with me. Taken into his palace is what it says. And then the Pharaoh gives Abram money for it. He treats Abram well for her sake. And then Abram came into a lot of wealth. So um, this is problematic. Um, and we don't have to do, you don't have to do a lot of mental gymnastics on it, okay? So you don't have to try to explain it away or do anything else. You can just say, you know, um, this is sexual exploitation. That's what it is. It's sexual exploitation. And then in Genesis 16, uh, Abram has this conversation with his wife, Sarai, because they've been promised that they will have a family. Uh, but it's been a decade now. It's still no family. And so they decide together that Abram should sleep with one of their slaves and get her pregnant. And then he does. In Genesis 16, verse 4, it says, Abram slept with Hagar and she conceived. So again, a lot of us know these stories, so we can run past them, but Abram um, slept with a slave of his in order to impregnate her. The power dynamics alone are uh, terrible, and it's just a, it's a bad thing. He did a bad thing. It's problematic at the least. It's terrible. And we should just read it honestly and go, that's a really bad thing. And I think we can read it honestly not have to pretend like somehow it's okay in some world far away. It's just bad. We can call that action, that behavior bad, and still practice a little curiosity. So why was Abram acting in such harmful and unhealthy ways? And I, I think these stories have that in common. And I think what's happening is that Abram is scared because his life is totally out of his control. And that's really the essence of all waiting. I think that's why we all hate waiting, because waiting erases any illusion that you and I have control. Right? That, that feeling of sitting in traffic, and the traffic's getting worse, and you can't tell why there's traffic, and you're stuck where you are, totally out of your control. You're in the waiting room, and you got there on time, but everyone else is getting called ahead of you, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you realize... There's nothing you can do about it. Waiting really erases the illusion that we have control at all. And Abram is waiting. These are the stories of his waiting. His life is out of his control. And he acts out in these terrible, in these harmful, in these unhealthy ways. I think in order to try to take back a little bit of control. He's saying, you know, I'll, I'm going to figure this out on my own. You know, I'm waiting on this big promise, so they're not going to kill me. I'll figure this out. I'll tell them she's my sister. We'll, we'll, work, we'll work out a deal. I'm waiting for this promise totally outside of my control. This isn't working out. I know what I'll do. I'll take this slave. I'll get her pregnant. They're terrible things. And I think for us, it's just a reminder that here's what we shouldn't do while we wait. We shouldn't seek control in unhealthy or harmful ways. Right? Waiting takes away our control. It just does. There's, there's no way around it. And so while we're waiting, we shouldn't seek to regain that control in harmful or unhealthy ways. And I think that's really the temptation for all of us. That it, 
as we experience that powerlessness in our waiting, I think the temptation is just to grab hold of whatever we can. And sometimes what happens is we just end up hurting other people in the process. We've, we've all had some version of the experience that we're like yelling about how the uh, dishwasher gets loaded because work isn't going well. You're like, those things shouldn't be connected. But when one thing starts to slip through your fingers, it's easy to grab a hold of everything else. And right now in our world, all of us, like all of us, are collectively waiting for this pandemic to be uh, whatever over is. We're, we're, we're waiting for some version of normal. And I think as we wait and as our world just continues to feel totally outside of our control, it's easy to regain control through all kinds of unhealthy and harmful behaviors. You know, some people, um, some people hold on to control through secrets, through secret keeping, withholding information. It's just a way for them to say, I do have some control over my life. Sometimes those secrets, as a part of that, turn into addictive behavior that can be that same safety and control mechanism. I think for us, if nothing else, we just get this human story where Abram shows us how not to wait. That when we experience that powerlessness, we don't just hold so tightly to everything else in these harmful and unhealthy ways, right? A lack of control doesn't have to mean a lack of character, right? When you're waiting, when you're feeling powerlessness, I think there's probably nothing you're going to be able to do about it. So just take a minute to notice that feeling. Like, wow, this is really slipping through my fingers. You notice it, that you actually feel it, and then you accept it. That you notice it, that you feel it, and you accept it. Abram gives us what, what not to do while waiting, but there's also these stories, these small little snippets about what maybe we could do. In Genesis 15, it says that God took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. So this passage, this story is called the Abrahamic Covenant. And um, it's, a, it's a primary theme through the Bible that God makes these covenants with his people. And um, just right off the bat, I just want to get out of the way. Yeah, they cut, some an- they cut animals in two and a smoking fire pot goes through. It's a spooky story and it's a really odd story. But anytime you uh, come across something that just feels uh, totally outside of your normal uh, life and dealings, like you didn't make any arrangements like this this week, um, just assume that it was probably a normal practice in the ancient Near East at the time. Right? God makes a covenant with Abram in this way because this is how Abram would have made a covenant with other people in his life. 
that, that when two people at this time in these places, right, these are real people in real places, when these people made agreements with one another, they would get animals and they would cut them in half and they would walk in between them. They would create a path, they would walk in between and they might say something like, if I break my part of this agreement, I will become like these animals. Right? Abram knew he was making a covenant with God. So this is a, a, a covenant. And uh, sometimes covenants are described as promises in the Bible, and I think that's a good way to think about it. But I think maybe a, a, a better or a different way for us to think about a covenant is as a partnership. That God is asking Abram to partner with him in the waiting. And God is saying, I will partner with you. Right? The, the, God asks Abram to do, to do some things. He does. The, God asks him to leave his, uh, his home. God asks him uh, uh, as a sign of this covenant. God has Abram circumcising all of his adult family members in a, in a couple chapters. Like God has Abram doing some stuff uh, that is difficult. But God is saying, I will be your partner in this waiting. I will be your partner in this promise. It's a reminder of the promise. So I think that's how we wait. We, we get how we shouldn't wait, that we shouldn't cling to power, we shouldn't cling to control in these unhealthy and harmful ways. But I think how we wait here that we get from Abram is that we partner with God, that we partner with God. And I know that partnering with God, like that kind of phrasing, that, that what might come to mind are these ideas of, about following rules, these ideas about purity, about doing the right thing. And I think that's, uh, in general, all that is fine. I want you to do the right thing. I, um, but the way that this says we partner with God is by believing God. That's what it says in, in, in Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and God credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord. That's how we partner. Right? Clearly, Abram isn't obeying all the rules. Clearly, Abram isn't living by some um, uh, really intense purity standard. But Abram believes what God says about him. That's how we partner. We believe what God says about us. It, it, isn't, uh, it, it isn't about trying to figure out what the rules are so we can follow them correctly. It's just simply this. Believe what God says about you. That's how we partner with God. That's how we wait well. We believe what God says. That's righteousness through the entire Bible, just believing what God says about us. And if you remember back to Genesis chapter 3, that's how Eve participates in the downfall of humanity, is that she doesn't believe what God says about her. She believes the serpent that says, you don't have enough and you aren't enough. And so the, the way that we partner with God is that we just believe what God says about us. And here, here's what happens a lot of times. We're waiting for the thing, whatever the thing is, the thing that really matters for us. And we start kind of crowdsourcing our identity. Or maybe using social media for comparison instead of community. And you start to think that what you already have isn't enough. And you start to think that who you already are isn't enough. And the crowd, or more appropriately probably, the algorithm will always tell you that you need more and that you need to be more. 
And it is a lie. That is the voice of the serpent, the voice of shame that tells you you need to be more, you need to do more. It is a lie. And especially while we're in the middle of waiting, especially while you're waiting for that thing that you long for, that lie, that voice that tells you you need more, you need to do more, that lie is devastating while we wait. Because that comparison game where we keep thinking we have to level up over and over again, in the middle of our waiting, that is just exhausting. It's a lie we can't keep up with. And so instead, just believe God. Believe what God says about you. Right? Don't crowdsource your identity because the crowd will always say you need more. Believe what God says about you. It's why we say the gospel, our gospel proclamation, our good news proclamation every week. Right At the end of it, we tell you every week, created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. Created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. This is who you are. This is the fundamental truth of your identity, whether you believe it or not. Just somehow do whatever you need to to lock this into your brain. Created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. Right? Don't crowdsource your identity. Believe what God says about you. That's how we wait. We partner with God in the waiting and believe what he says about us. We are created, loved, rescued, forgiven, and free. We are already enough and we don't have to listen to the, to the lie that says we need more. We partner with God by believing what God says about us. So how are you at waiting? Probably not uh, at your best while you're in the middle of waiting. I wonder if you would describe yourself as a patient person. How are you at waiting? Maybe you should ask the person you're sitting with or someone close to you today if you're a patient person. And for you, are you the kind of person that tries to take back control wherever you can while you're waiting for something? And maybe you could just consider today whether or not there's unhealthy ways that you do that. And today, are, are you ready to believe what God says about you while you wait? Are you ready to partner with God in your waiting? If you're going to do that, you'll have to stop crowdsourcing your identity. You'll have to stop comparing your way to knowing who you are. Are you ready to believe what God says about you? These stories of waiting from Abram, they, they give us what to do and what not to do while life feels totally out of control while we wait. Right? Don't act out in these unhealthy and harmful ways. Instead, partner with God. Waiting is a universal experience. There's no way out of it. We will all wait and it is also really, really hard. It's painful. It's difficult. And I want you, just for the end of our time together, to call back to mind that thing you're waiting for, that thing I ask you to think of. Call that back to mind. And it, when Jesus gives really his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he's addressing a group of people who are waiting. They're being oppressed. They're being victimized. Uh, they are largely very, very poor. When they come to hear him teach, they are expectant. And Jesus does this really surprising thing in his teaching. He starts it all with a blessing. It's not a long list of to-dos. 
the first thing Jesus does is a reminder to this crowd that those who struggle most, that those who mourn, that those who thirst, that those that long, that those who are persecuted and those who are seeking peace, that those people are seen and treasured by God. Jesus looks at this crowd, this expectant crowd, waiting for so much, and he looks them right in the eyes. And he says, I see you who are mourning. You are blessed. I I see those of you who are meek. You are blessed. See those of you that are persecuted. You are blessed. He looks this crowd right in the eyes and reminds them what God says about them. And so gather today, I say to you, blessed are those who wait. Blessed are those who are all out of options. Blessed are those whose lives feel totally out of control. Blessed are those who hear the voice of God and believe it. Blessed are those who cry out to God for anything, for something to change. Gather, blessed are those who wait. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. So gather, this is my prayer for us today. May you find comfort in your waiting. You are not alone. Our divine creator partners with you today. May you believe what God says about you. You are God's treasured possession. You are very good. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.